Okay, so uh, welcome everyone. My name is Joshua. I am uh, the chairperson of the AFCO committee um, for the 2021 uh, Dutch National Selection Conference of EYP in the Netherlands. Um, what we're going to do today is basically the second interview we're having, uh, also the final interview, uh, which will be looking a bit more at GDPR, which is the, the General Data Protection Regulation from the EU. Um, we'll talk about how um, it's regulated, how it's enforced, uh, but more specifically, more importantly, talk about uh, what companies actually do in order to uh, comply with the GDPR. And for that, I'm joined by uh, Mr. Amit Kumar. Um, he works for Tata Steel Europe, uh, and he's in charge of, uh, specifically in this case, G uh, GDPR compliance. Uh, Mr. Kumar, could you briefly introduce yourself? Hi, good afternoon. Hi, hi Joshua. Uh, um, uh, my name is Amit Kumar, and um, I joined the Tata Group about 20 years back, uh, working in the steel plant in India. Uh, I then moved to London uh, in five years and been here for 20, 15 years now. Worked in different Tata companies like Tata Limited, led the business for marketing there, and in Tata Steel for the last 10 years now. Uh, worked Looked after data transformation projects, uh, the procurement transformation, and finally looking after a GDPR transformation journey. So based on the based on the requirements of the new legislation and uh, how how it could impact our customers, our sustainability, we put in place a very robust program around four years back. And I was leading that program initially for four years. And currently, I am the head of data privacy for Tata Steel across Europe. Yeah. Okay, so perfect. That's Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Yes, perfect. Um, so maybe as a, as a start off uh, question, um, what does your your work really consist of when, especially uh, considering GDPR? Like, what, yeah, what, like, practically does your work entail yeah. in that sense? See, uh, the most important part of my work is to understand how and when uh, matured are we on our data privacy journey, because uh, GDPR helps us to understand that there are certain critical aspects of personal data, but it also helps us to understand that the organization needs to be accountable. So one of the biggest change with GDPR is brought about is making uh, organizations accountable for employee or other personal data they hold. Now, as you can imagine that when an organization is doing its daily business, it's interacting with employees, with customers, with suppliers, and each of those touch points, there's personal data involved. Probably the employee personal data at times can be more than the customer data, but it depends on your business model. For example, a company like Facebook and uh, and Google will have a lot of customer data and probably same balance of the employee data. But since we are in the steel organization where we deal with a lot of corporates and we have a lot of businesses we sell steel to, the amount of personal data processing is not that high. It's limited. It is there. It's limited. But the employee personal data is quite high for us. And you know? it's very important for us also because we are handling health and safety issues. We are handling employee recruitment issues. So yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of such things come into, into play. And we've tried to make a very focused attempt to understand where we need to improve our privacy requirements. And that's how we started this, Joshua, about uh, four years back. We did an internal assessment to see that which of the areas we needed to focus and prioritize because every company has only limited number of resources. So, you know, you can't spend 100 million pounds on only privacy. You need to balance it out. You know? So we need to prioritize people, prioritize time, prioritize money. So, so as required, GDPR is the basic premise is based on the basic principles of data protection. So we worked on the basic principles, like in terms of transparency, what do we need? We need a privacy statement to be updated. In terms of security, what do we need? Encryption levels to be improved. 
in terms of procurement, supplier contracts, we need to have GDPR provisions in our new contracts. So that brings us to the context of what does the Dutch law say, you know, in terms of GDPR provisions? What does the Dutch regulator say in terms of having an inventory? So yeah, so a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, searching first in terms of what the law, what the requirements of GDPR meant. Interpret them for the business because, you know, when you say a lawyer's language, the business may not understand completely what the legal language is. The business needs to be told in what they need to do, what actions do we need to do as a business, you know? So we need to interpret the law, make it actionable, prioritize the actions, and then deliver them, you know? So that's the four-step thing we did, you know, in the last three, four years, and been working on it, you know? Yeah. And uh, this this involves also developing met metrics to review our privacy controls. So, yeah, a lot has happened in the last four or five years, and, and we have seen that there is a different level of maturity we have in terms of privacy now, which has it has changed quite a lot, you know. So, so yeah. So that's 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 what my side I can say about a brief introduction on what you've done, what I'm doing, you know. Yeah. Okay, clear. Thank you. Um, so you touched upon that there are very that it's very open to interpretation. Um, does that make your your work very difficult? Because I also think there's not that much jurisprudence on GDPR enforcement, for instance. So, isn't isn't it very hard to kind of have to have to guess or have to interpret certain laws that haven't really been uh, like haven't been enforced that much. You're you're absolutely right, Joshua. I think the biggest uh, biggest constraint that has been for organizations or people, I think, initially, especially when it was announced in 2018, was that uh, when it became effective in 2018, was that how do we interpret something consistently? You know, so it's not only about interpretation; it's about consistent interpretation across jurisdictions. Because GDPR is supposed to harmonize data protection across member states. Yeah? And here we have, we are operating in the Netherlands, in Germany, in France, and at that point in UK, which was a part of the EU at that time. You know? So we need to balance everything out. And it becomes more difficult and challenging when interpretation is subject to how we think our business is evolving. You know? For example, if, uh, if I'm told that you need to issue a certain... Uh, assess a, a incident in terms of the risk you know yeah now it is our interpretation that how risky something can be now we need to put metrics in place quantify that risk and understand it but since we know our industry well we know steel and we know personal data how it interacts we can understand the risk yeah for example we understand that when we talk about customers in steel we are talking about a corporate a corporate we are selling to so if if i am processing personal data about a corporate it's not so much about demographics of a person, their biometrics data. It's very specific information about the company's contact details, where it's based, which location, and how do we make a payment to them. So that's the basic personal data, yeah? So there's a very big difference, and it's, it's, we have to interpret the risk in our own way then, you know, yeah? So that's why interpretation plays a big role, but it also has to be through the lens of how we operate our business and balancing it with regulatory requirements. That, at no point can you be non-compliant. You need to be compliant. You need to have a privacy statements in place. You need to have your cookie policies in place. So it's a fine balance, you know, but you're right. Interpretation causes a lot of challenges for us. And we are every day struggling in that. For me, that's a struggle every week, you know, because somebody thinks, Amit, is this, I've lost, for example, this amount of data. When you lose data, it is information, yeah? But if it is data about personal spend, you know, on, on a dead uh, data spend of how much coal we have bought, yeah? Now, that's not personal data. That's business data, yeah? So, they are always open to interpretation and training people on what we mean by what, yeah? Okay? But yeah, there is a challenge there which we need to address. Okay, clear. Um, 
you talked a bit about like that you have to be compliant at all times. Um, yeah. As as or as far as I've researched, GDPR has not been enforced very often. So, do you do you really know what enforcement of GDPR looks like, or what would regulator will step in, for instance, like for who you have to be compliant? Yeah, that, that's a good point again, Joshua. See, it's uh, and the, the regulation is quite new. It's still not, it's been 10 years or something. It's still new in its in its deployment, I would say. And as you can see, a lot of regulators in the last few years, you know, are issuing new guidance. They are saying that, okay, this is what we initially meant, but this qualifies it further. For example, I'll give a very simple example for that to understand uh, how it works. Uh, there's something called a subject access request. That means that if you're working in, my, in our company, then at any point of time, you can ask the company, can you give me all personal data you hold about me? Yeah. So Joshua can say that, okay, Tata Steel has some information about me, my personal records, my the interactions. So I want to have that personal data. Yeah? Okay. Now you are given 30 days to provide Joshua with all the information. That's what Tata Steel has, 30 days to give you the information. Now there's always open to interpret interpretation that when you send the email and we confirm your identity and you say, yes, it's fine, does the clock start then or does the clock start the moment you send the email, you know? Yeah. So when do we start the process of actually searching? Because it can also be a false uh, uh, information request like a scam, you know, by somebody. So we need to go back to you to check your identity, get some confirmation, you know? So there are some things open to interpretation and those are uh, compliance by law. So you cannot say that I have messed it up and I've not met the 30 day deadline. You still have to define your approach. But for me, 30 days starts on this day. And this is what compliance means for me, yeah? Okay? But now, the regulators have been more clear. They have said, no, the moment you get the request, the ticker starts. But they've also qualified further. If I go back to Joshua to ask him, that Joshua, I'm not clear about this information request you made. Can you qualify it further? Then the clock stops. So they've made a provision now for the clock to stop. So we can actually stop that number of days and then start again. So that didn't happen initially two years back. It's, it's now that they've qualified that, yeah? So I'm saying that, they have qualified further things and that's why we need to be compliant in those lines but they are also very clear about enforcement if you don't if you do not meet your obligation a certain way which is quite visible then they can also put a penalty or a fine and you know the penalties and fines are huge now they are to the level of four percent and two percent of it and global turnover you know which is quite big yeah and for a company like tata steel that amounts to probably the turnover of a parent company you know because it's quite uh, that's how that's how we organized but, but yeah, considering all that, enforcement actions have happened. We've seen what's happening. There is a perspective that is there enough case law? Is there enough case law for us to see cases like this case happened between Mr. X and the court? What was the judgment? What can we learn from it? There is not so much case law, you know? Yeah, that's the only thing, yeah? Okay, sorry, just, uh, just take the call. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, so, so like in, in, from my interpretation, it seemed that, um, that compliance with like personal data regulations, um, or sorry, the, the, the enforcement of it, it seems very passive to me. Like I, I wouldn't see why regulators would have a reason to kind of go over to companies and check, um, kind of check their compliance. So where do you think, like at what time would, um, that non-compliance potentially come to light in that case, do you think? See, so non-compliance can come to light in two ways. One is when a data subject, now when I say data subject, that means employee, customer, 
or whoever's personal data you're processing complains to the regulator. Yeah. So for example, you can complain that I'm not happy with how Tata Steel has handled my question or my personal data. Or in general, there can be something called a exploratory research or request by the, the regulator. For example, the Dutch regulator had asked a number of companies about nine and a half, two years back for a copy of the data inventory, just to see how people are deploying data inventory and how they have how they have gone ahead doing the actions required by law. You know, so they can also ask you for certain things by law. So uh, every supervisory authority or the regulator has a full right to ask the controller for their data inventory. Yeah. So they can send you a letter and say we want to know this you know now we haven't seen so much activity uh, by regulators being very very proactive because it also requires internal resourcing so can they make it very proactive by assessing each and every organization i think that's a very very difficult task to ask for but i think they can certainly prioritize in some areas where the personal data processing is high risk so it, it, it's really managed and proportionate i would say yeah oh okay um so and that maybe maybe a bit of um a perspective question but um so so when you do that enforcement you said you also look at um kind of knowledge you've built up over time on how to comply with these rules um maybe it's a bit of a strange way of phrasing it but does your work in that case involve a lot of lawyers a lot of legal aspects or is it more of people who have been very involved in that compliance and people who know over time how that developed yeah, I, I think uh, when we started the program, Joshua, we had a business team and a legal team, you know, because the legal team has to give us input in terms of legal entities involved, what the structuring should be, what kind of uh, legal language should be used, and also certain employment law questions have to be answered. We have to keep in mind what the commercial law says here, for example, when we're issuing a contract, updating our contracts. So it was a joint team which was made and a lot of uh, lawyers were engaged we also took external advice from specialist companies because there were some changes we had to make so yeah it was a balanced approach again with the lawyers yeah yeah okay so um so that's only in times where there's like turmoil where there are some uh, changes or some um, um that basically change to the regulation or is does it also involve like day-to-day it involves, uh, it involves sometimes a serious incident happens or uh, a reference to an, a special article which we are not really clear about, like a provision or something in GDPR. We usually go to external lawyers. We take help to get some perspective because, like I said, case law is not very much tested in this area. So we don't know what the regulators are expecting from us. So we sometimes involve external lawyers in that case. The internal lawyers are very much engaged in helping us to draft documents to help us address things but i see a lot of operational data we've seen play which is basically talking about procedural and operational requirements yeah? so there the business teams have to support us the legal teams can give advice and help us to ring fence everything but the work has to happen in the business you know but both both work hand in hand but you're right at some at certain points when there is clarity required when there is a high risk case involved or when there is a case law issue where we think it is better to get some external opinion, we always involve external lawyers to get advice. And they are specialists in privacy, so they have years of knowledge. Because one thing we must understand, Joshua, that GDPR is, although it's a new regulation, but data privacy has already been in play for many years. It's all, There has already been a directive in place, you know, there's already been uh, the same things in place, like a subject access request, handling incidents. It's nothing new. The only thing is there are certain key principles they've added to it and certain key changes, you know, which are for 
giving more rights to the employees and to the data subjects which we need to appreciate now as a company which and that's the key change in mindset which is more important that are we looking at data privacy when i do my day to and that's my daily job actually to make sure that i improve the visibility of data privacy i make sure people are thinking about privacy when they are doing things because that's when it can actually work it can't work by a lawyer tapping on your back and saying oh you missed this point you know yeah so a simple example will be supposing we launch a new communication campaign tomorrow yeah and and the campaign is going to people's email addresses yeah okay then we also want to send a campaign to people's homes for example yeah so now we need to check whether we, we are able to process the home information in this case should we have their home addresses should we be interacting at that level or should we only be sending that to home workers so that's the question comes just communication need to ask me ramit are we allowed by privacy to access all this information if we need it now so so those are the things you need to think up front and that's what i think privacy is all about joshua it's about creating that awareness and that mindset change yeah and then we need to think about security security part that how are we securing secure uh, securing that data is it that the data i am sending to people is going to be safe because once you send information it cannot be called back it's gone never mind that so that's something you need to think before sending it you know that how secure is it do i need to encrypt this data can i can i at later anonymize this data so those considerations need to come at that point when you are processing it yeah and that's something called being aware being trained having maturity of handling information and that's my daily job to build that in the company you know in every aspect have regular weekly communications train more people as data privacy champions make sure that everybody speaks the language of privacy a little bit at least you know there is there is it's like you know they use the, the key words like okay am i making sure that the data is protected yeah okay so so that's that's what it comes to actually yeah and the balance between legal business and me you know yeah okay very interesting um maybe for uh, for the delegates listening to this to put a little bit more towards um the specific subject matter um as you've probably seen there are a lot of companies also since GDPR uh, data analytics companies for instance who um you know have found certain loopholes or certain ways to still um use people's data um by kind of moving around GDPR by having different ways of harvesting that data um you just mentioned that GDPR kind of um not only was is regulation but also pushes kind of mindset change as you called it yeah. for um for companies do you think on the longer term just having that mindset change will be enough or do, given um how malicious some companies have been do you think that yeah. on the longer term regulation will be will have to be more strict than it is now to be effective yeah and i think that's a that's a good thought actually because because uh, i think i think change of mindset is some part of it not a major part of it i think change of mindset has to go along with actually uh, having very strong uh, controls in place you know because ultimately what's going to happen is we are moving to a digital economy it is going to be quite a lot of digital stuff happening around we are all working through teams these days and and to be frank with you the the technology in terms of hacking machine learning artificial intelligence is improving so so we need to manage and the pace of our improvements has to manage the pace of a hacker how quickly can a hacker get into our teams meeting and get the information out huh? today we don't know tomorrow it might be at an instance they can do these things you know yeah today i'm told that if you put a 20 digit password with uh, special characters with other other kind of protection then it takes a hacker x amount number of years to break it 
But if you put an eight-digit password, which is more generic, it can be ten seconds. You know, so we, we I think times are changing. You know, and you're right. We need to consider very strong controls, and that's why we are ourselves learning now that we have some old tools like we have drives and all which need to be encrypted. So we need to make sure that we not only talk about people making sure data is protected when it's sent, but we have technology supporting us. One simple example will be Joshua. Something called uh, AIP. AIP is a, a zero information protection. It adds more security to your emails you send. It can label a a document to be confidential, and you can track it continuously where it's gone. So you can see which all users have used it, who's opened it, and you can revoke access. So on one side, it's good to have that mind to be protective, but other side, you should have controls and tools. I fully agree. Without a strong focus on controls and tools, you. are much more vulnerable in the future yeah so the balance has to be kept right yeah okay that's interesting so you said that um there's a way of kind of tracking where the data that you share goes if if that yeah. in that case is an email um do you do you maybe think cuz cuz of course from your perspective it's from from um a corporate way of looking at that but do you think in the future there might also be possibilities for private individuals when sharing their data to um maybe have more agency over where the data goes or as you said for instance a revoke access later on yeah and i think you're right there's some aspect of track and trace involved there that can it come under track and trace and can agencies look at it you know so yeah there are there are factors which come into play there and that's why a lot of jurisdictions like germany france are very careful about such technologies you know now we are looking at from a corporate perspective but from an individual perspective you are going to be able to track and trace so so it totally depends on how you deploy things you're sure there's a there's a right way to do it and there is obviously a way to interpret that it can be done the wrong way yeah? but i think with technology you have to use it in a balanced way you have to make sure you train the people to use it the right way for example if i'm sending a very confidential document then i need to use that technology but i'm sending a very personal document to somebody which is my my document which i don't want such high security i need to know how to use that you know yeah but but you're right there has to be there there has to be some training given and we need to solve this only with using the tools as appropriate yeah it cannot be over extensive use or it cannot be used where it's not required yeah okay so that's the solution which we are ourselves grappling with a bit and we need to solve this going forward because not everything it sounds very good and uh, theoretical on a piece of paper joshua all of these things you know but when you actually come to deployment of thing practice it throws 100 questions back you know yeah so and that's when you will see when you get into the world of actually going and implementing things things take a different form because you know reading a piece of paper and having a a document that this is what the provision says is very easy but when you go into the company and get it deployed it's really difficult yeah what people think and you will be surprised joshua that somebody sitting in netherlands and somebody sitting in germany and somebody sitting in uk will interpret interpret the same thing in three different ways like you just said you know now when we launched this track revoking a email you know yeah the the uk said oh, it's very good so i will only use it for my hr documents the dutch said that okay i might let's create more training around it so it's used in the right way germany said no it is track and trace let's do an impact assessment first So, so there are there are different ways you interpret things, you know. So your deployment changes accordingly, yeah. So, and it just goes to show that you are right. It it is it is based on how we make sure that we are communicating the right message and putting people to understand why we're doing it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, I think that's very interesting as well. So, 
with even within different countries in the EU, the interpretation really differs. Um, yeah, do you, do you think, like, how do you see the future of that? Do you think it should be more harmonized and more, uh, like, seen similarly EU-wide or in, in what ways? Because now, as you said, as a company, you have to ensure that um, it's harmonized within the company. But, of course, the goal of such a regulation would be to have it harmonized for any company or any individual within the EU. So, um, I know it's a very, very hard question, but how would you, do you think, see an effective way of harmonizing that um, across different borders, especially within the EU, as these borders are fading uh, away over time. Um, yeah, how do you think that would be more effective uh, to regulate, especially as it's such a kind of a vague uh, regulation? So, so I would I would rephrase that. I, I wouldn't say the regulation is vague. I think the regulation is very clear what it wants, you know. But there is a there is a part of it which can be interpreted in different ways. Now. See, we must understand that the, when we say that the objective is to harmonize, yeah, it does not mean that everything will become standard all of a sudden, yeah, because we are, after all, human minds. We have a way of working, yeah. Okay, what you see as risk, I may not see as risk, yeah. Okay, but both of us know there is certain risk, yeah. So you cannot say that jumping from a 30th floor building is not risky for you, yeah. It's risky for you. For my perspective, also, that's a risk. For your perspective, that's a risk. But for a paraglider who does it every day. That's his daily income, you know. Yeah. So it depends on how you see things. But for some people, everything will be risky. Some will find it more, some will find it less. Now, it's that more or less is how you handle things, you know. How much flexibility do you allow in your provisions for people to interpret it, you know? Yeah. Now, for example, it says that you need to report to the data protection authorities anything which is high risk to the individuals. Okay. That's what it says. It doesn't say that, for example, if you lose a USB drive, report it. Yeah. It says that whatever you think is high risk, you report. Yeah. Okay. Now that leaves a bit of interpretation that in Germany something is high, in UK something is not high. In Netherlands, you report everything. You lose a pen, you say I reported it. Yeah, it's done. You know. So now that depends on the approach, and I think that's where the regulators, I think, have no option but to give people a bit of flexibility because you can have a clear guidance that you want to harmonize it, but I don't think you can harmonize it to a level where everything is standard. It cannot be. Because our minds, our way of working is different, but it should be harmonized to a level where it doesn't affect business in the wrong way. For example, why, why do we have all these regulations and these policies and procedures? Because we want to exchange data, we want to have the economy progress, we want to have more growth, Yeah, because that's the idea. It's not to close businesses. Like I tell my business teams, my job as head of data privacy is not to come and tell you, you cannot do this business, you cannot do this application. My job is to tell you, Let's do an assessment of it from a personal data perspective. Let's do how much risk it has and let's address the risk. You know, yeah. It, I'm not here to tell you you can't do it. You know, that's the wrong way to look at it. So I think that's what the regulators want. They want people to have a perspective on things, but every jurisdiction has the right to have a bit of delegations. But I think they have been very clear that some minimum requirements have to be met. For example, they have said that you need to have a data inventory for a controller. But they've also said that if there are less than 250 people, then you may not need to have data inventory if you have these three conditions, you know, unless you have these three conditions. So I think they are they are they are trying to harmonize it, but understanding the point that there will be a bit of variations. Now, if you ask me the question that should there be no variations, I personally feel it's very difficult because I worked in three jurisdictions very closely: Netherlands, Germany, in, in, and and UK, and also in India, I've seen. 
which is probably not that strong in privacy right now. We are making a privacy law, but it's quite different the way people think, you know, and you cannot change that because everything comes from how people behave and how you work, you know, yeah. Now, you cannot, you cannot put theory into practice if it doesn't work. Let me tell you, it doesn't, it, it cannot happen that way because when you come into the real world of business and, and, and corporates, it's a different world. It's not something on paper. Yeah? You have to work with the teams and the minds. Yeah? So, so yeah, it's, I think to answer your question, uh, summarize it, I think you cannot harmonize is it to a level where it's completely same for all. You need to keep a bit of flexibility for variations, but you need to manage the variations that those variations don't go outside your bandwidth of control. That's what I would say, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so maybe about like the future of that, do you think, um, yeah, who should, who should, do you think should have like the leading role in that compliance? Do you think every company, as you um, touched upon before, um, should kind of uh, adapt GDPR to their own um, position, like make it very uh, tailored to their company? Or do you think regulators should be um, not more active in enforcement, but I mean more active in spreading that um, transparency or awareness of what they expect from you? Or yeah, where, where do you think the, the leader of how this, what this regulation should really look like, uh, where it comes from in the future, as it's a quite a new regulation? Um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I, th I think this is this is again a question of maturity, and I think uh, I think as of now the regulators are playing a role. You know, their job is to make sure the regulation is deployed because it's important to protect the rights of individuals, and that's their job right now. You know, yeah, and based on the on the on the practical aspects of how many people they have, how they are structured for the regulation, there's only a certain amount of work they can do. Yeah, now. I think it's very difficult for us to have an expectation of the regulator to come and have, I would love it if the regulator can actually come and help us to assess and improve. But I don't think that's their job right now. You know? Their job is to give guidance and our job is to make sure we deploy that guidance. Yeah. Okay. I think, but there is a role to be played, which I've seen the ICO and even the AP to some extent, they have clear guidance on the site. They have clear templates and tools they are giving us. They are giving us an impact assessment template, which helps me to do my job better. Yeah. So I would suggest that's kind of visibility they're creating. Now, again, the other part is that should there be more done in terms of data privacy, more messaging going out and more, more uh, I would say more visibility around the subject. I think that's a very, very sensitive topic because I think the data privacy is, is, is a basic tenant of every business. Yeah? You cannot, uh, cannot overemphasize it and you cannot not emphasize it. Yeah? So I think the European Data Protection Board, which is the one which is governing everything right now, has done a good job in balancing that till now. But I think in the future, we'll need more engagement uh, in terms of more forums where we can discuss these panels. We can have more panels where we can discuss these things. More role played by the universities and research to see where companies are doing on privacy, what's happening. Yeah. So that will really, and I think that's where I think uh, the regulators can use extended universities and educational institute to improve the thinking. Because imagine if at the point where you are right now, and before you jump into the corporate world, you have a certain maturity about data privacy, then how you would use it when you work. So I think that's where the regulators can do a bit more, I feel, you know, working closely with the universities and all to create more visibility. So it reaches the message more to a wider audience. Yeah. But not more than that. I think I think they already have a lot in their plate, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I really like that kind of um, the nuance in that. I think, yeah, it becomes very clear. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think uh, from my side we've discussed um, all the questions uh, I had about it. Uh, do you think maybe like from from the the framing from which I asked my questions, there's anything uh, you want to finally add or any um, anything maybe you want to um, tell the delegates before they get into their um, work on this topic? You know, I just want to uh, give give the message that see, it's it's not only about compliance because when we talk about GDPR, we talk about GDPR compliance. I think compliance is the outcome of what we do today. You know, you can be compliant, but being compliant on paper doesn't help. For example, if the policy says that do you have a list of all the documents like your privacy notices, your privacy policy, and all, but it means that how much have we deployed that in our company? Are we living and breathing that document or not? I think that's what it boils down to. And, and, and that can't happen in a year. It's a journey. It's like, you know, slowly you start working with the entities and you work with your companies, you go with your people and start trickling that down with your with your people. Yeah, Because we must remember that, that every business and every person who's on the front end in sales or in making production, their job is not only data privacy. Their job is to make a living for themselves with what they do. Yeah, Okay. But data privacy should be helping them in that, not blocking them. That's what we need to think always. And, as, and I think that's a very important message that we need to support the business, keep compliance in mind, but also help them. It's not only making a law. It's about how we can work with them to address that law. You know? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what my message to them would be. Yeah. Delegates. Yeah. Okay. That's it from my side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Well okay. then, um, with this, I'd like to end the interview. So thank you very much for uh, your time and your willingness to help us. Uh, and I'm sure the delegates will have really been helped by your uh, remarks. Thank you, Joshua. Thanks a lot. Hope it goes well. Thank you.